here today with not a lot of revenue is probably not the best. I've got to say that's probably not the best title to have. Uh, it used to be, it used to have some level of impact. Now it's, well, a lot of people are saying, what, what are you actually doing at the moment? So unfortunately, we've, we're getting a small amount of revenue and it's generating a huge amount of activity and kind of, yeah, time and labour. So, so Chief Revenue Officer in yeah. New Zealand, I think, was it the... The business went from was it six billion to five hundred million? Is that about right? Yeah, you're yeah, you're rubbing it in already. Um, <laughs> yeah. No, it's uh, just such a gnarly like it's so it's such a crazy thing so to I, even like comprehend how. I'm delighted much that to is. be on this show. It's, it's giving me a, it's giving me a so well it's bringing me back down to earth if I haven't been for the last two months. But yeah, I mean. Uh. It's fair to say April, we produced less revenue than our forecast had expected us to do so. So, yeah, I mean, we're, it's very uncertain in terms of how much revenue we will be generating because it's very sensitive to, one, what the travel restrictions will be in level two, uh, and secondly, whether or when we can get some international short haul going. So uh, we've been using that $500 million. It could be more than that. It could be less, but it's certainly going to be a lot less than $6 billion. That's one thing I can absolutely say. <laughs> so when you get on the phone, is this literally your role to try and go from the number you're at now to 10x? Is that is this your responsibility, basically? Well, I mean, it's a collective responsibility. I mean, I've got a fantastic bunch of leaders, half of them in uh, international markets and half of them in New Zealand. So there's a few components um, I've got a cargo division, and that has been um, a light on the hill in terms of a bright spot for Air New Zealand because we are generating car cargo revenue. Uh, and also our loyalty business. And our loyalty business continues to go. People continue to accrue points, you know, whether it's through groceries or, uh, you know, different suppliers we have on or partners that we have on the ground. So that is a benefit of having a diversified business. And then what we're trying to do is just move essential workers around New Zealand and some having some international connectivity, primarily for cargo basis. Um, so yeah, it's, it's, it's less about focusing on revenue outcomes. It's more now about helping New Zealand recover from this crisis by connecting essential workers around the country where possible. Uh, and our part in this is to make sure that we keep products and services moving while we don't really have any demand or the government don't really want people to be traveling so it's very 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 different oh man totally what's become pretty clear is the butterfly effect of this one single thing its tentacles have gone into every single world every single industry every single vertical but with a business like in new zealand it touches the entire globe the logistical nightmare is logistics because it's that's actually what done it's how are you like mentally even dealing with compartmentalizing each little part that that affects the whole thing like it's a it's an entire moving beast right like how are you actually genuinely mentally navigating through dodgeball dodgeball of of challenges yeah. like how how how's it how are you doing yeah, well, we've got a really tight uh, executive team here at Air New Zealand. So um, all individuals look after their different functions. So we collaborate pretty well together. We're talking, you know, in terms of the business rhythm we've got into, we have a call every morning at usually 7.30 or 8 o'clock for about an hour, and we have one at 5 or 6 o'clock 
for the same amount of time. And that's because things have been evolving and developing so quickly in our part of the business community uh, that we want to be up to date as quick as possible. We also have two other streams. One is communicating as effectively and efficiently as we can with our staff. And our staff are you know, working on planes. They might be based offshore or based around New Zealand. So that's incredibly important for us. Um, and then just getting feedback to our customers, our loyal customers who want to know what's happening with our schedule, our flights, social distancing, when we think we might be participating in other markets. So, you know, really focusing on over communication, both with our customers, our staff has been our, the, the kind of mode we've been trying to get into. And that's been hopefully successful for us, but it is very, very different. As an example, we don't really have any competitors and a lot of the information that Historically, I would have seen as commercially sensitive. We can talk about pretty openly because we're not, we don't really have a revenue management engine. Um, you know, we, we've got some flights, but not many. We can talk about how many passengers we have a day. There's been some great collaboration, I have to say, through other airlines too. So I'm very regularly talking to United Airlines, Singapore Airlines, Qantas, about what they're seeing in the marketplace, what demand signals they're pick, picking up, and also what's happening with the virus and, and, and how they're going in terms of flattening their curve. You brought up a point about the data, right? How does it actually work in terms of um, all the data get that it's, get, it's collected in real time all around the globe, consolidated and digested down and back up the team and then what that means for, for business? Like, is there... Like, just talk me through, like, the data that comes in, like, that, that workflow process, because I'm imagining that stream needs to be efficient, tight, accurate, on point the entire time from, from everywhere. Because you've just got – I think the, the challenge is there's so many touch points, you know. So how, yeah. how are you navigating data for decisions through all this? Yeah, so we have a team set up called the uh, General Emergency Management Team. So they um, work on, well, they work for a guy called uh, Dave Morgan, who's our chief pilot. He looks after safety and security. So he manage, they manage the response in terms of our operation and what we're seeing across global markets. And then what we try and do as an executive team is react to schedule adjustments or different processes, which are largely driven by central government about where and when you could fly what it's going to mean for essential travel or leisure travel in different zones. And I suppose like I've spent more time looking at graphs to do with viruses and curves and infection levels than I ever thought I would. But we're, we're very connected into central government and we're very focused on making sure that we do the right thing to support New Zealand's efforts to eliminate the, the virus. So we're in, in very much constant communication with the Ministry of Transport and government agencies and making sure that we're doing the right thing uh, as the country tries to deal with this. Because our kind of core belief is we start from a good fiscal position in terms of the country and we want to reimagine what tourism can be, but we can only do that if we eliminate the disease. So we're very fixated on making sure that we're in lockstep with um, the process from the Ministry of Health and from central government. I was going to say as well, you're lucky we had um, uh, Fife on the show the other day, and I'm sure with him down in Wellies as well, it's giving good context from the inside of all the different moving parts as well, right? Yeah, I mean, I think that's that's just a fantastic call. Obviously, I work for Rob when he was CEO here, and just an unbelievably smart individual, right? I, I always used to um, 
worry about sessions with Rob because he'd always he'd always take a completely different approach, completely different to what you expected, and just a really really different and strategic thinker. So mm. it gave us a massive amount of confidence that the government um, brought Rob in to lead uh, some of the commercial response. And I think that's that's fantastic for us, but also fantastic for the balance of the business community to have someone of his stature in that role. And plus, he's also doing it for free, which is you know good for the finances. I that's what I said to him. He was saying he'd done like thirty-five yeah. days straight or something, and I was just like, "Man, yeah. no overtime, yeah. no shit." It's like this is flipping weird. The, the, what is good about it though is he's that crossover point, right? Because. The, the the streets still mess with him and they know what's up and he's got credit but he also sits on the other side and he understands how the political game works plus he's got the ability to be able to you know shake the right trees the right way and no one can say shit right so it's quite it's like the per, he's the perfect kiwi person that understands yeah. our world to then be in that world that can can try and shake the tree in their world so no t t totally and especially when you look at you know you talked about um before you know this reimagine phase we had um you know tim alp on the show um ceo of juicy rentals yeah. and he's basically saying you know 97 percent decrease in revenue overnight right like all yeah. these different crew just getting smoked through three, like buddy um ryan saunders from uh Hacker tours he's in the mix everyone's just yeah. this thing is just push pause and everything yeah. the approach that you go back onto market is going to be clearly different based on obviously what happens with um you know if there's a bubble or not who can come in or not all the rest of it how do you kind of use this opportunity to reimagine in your head what you think tourism and and maybe just go tra travel and tourism could could be in new zealand i guess domestically and internationally after this yeah well the first thing is we think new zealand's got a really robust and enduring proposition and i think on a relative basis i think what new zealand has which was always attractive to the world uh, on a relative basis is going to be even more attractive. So I think the worst thing that could happen is that we come out of this crisis with no, uh, and we just have the same industry that we started with. So we need to take a pause and take the opportunity to really assess what we need as an industry. And ultimately, I think that's probably going to be a smaller industry with higher value tourists. Uh, clearly, we want them to have a, a significant economic upside for the country, but we want all stakeholders to contribute in, in that upside but also we, we've got to be mindful of the environmental impact because i think there was and there still is open debates and robust debates about over tourism and having too many people at a certain moment of time and too many tourist hotspots. so i think it's it's mindful for us to sit back and say how do we take this opportunity to reassess where what markets we want to open up when, we, when could we and should we open them up and what type of tourists we want. And then for Air New Zealand, it was going to be what kind of aircraft do we fly to what markets? What are some of the health components of the new customer journey? So things like how do we board with physical distancing? Should you know both crew and passengers in the short to medium term wear masks? What kind of sanitation do we have? How do we look after our crew in a really pro uh, proactive way? So. We look at a customer journey in terms of what we call 15 stages of customer journey. And that starts from when you think about booking to when you do book, to when you board, when you get on the aircraft, when you disembark the aircraft. So we're looking at every stage of that customer journey and saying, how can it be different and how can it be more productive? But also, how do we make it more enduring and more, um, well, more actually make it better for not only in New Zealand, but for the whole industry and the whole economy? 
Yeah, we had um, uh, Janine Crossan on who, uh, she's a founder of Powered by um, Flossie. And so basically, you know, she's got a, she's in the, uh, the hair, beauty, makeup, SAS business for different, um, all over, all over show. She was saying, you know, the hygiene expectations of you know the the, the yelp for yeah. safety of how this whole yeah. thing's going to change they're going to want people it's going to change the entire dynamic not only with the operations themselves with people you know touching hair and do, touching nails and fingers because yeah. it's so kind of it's so personal and we kind of talked about this idea of there's going to be this like instinctual natural it's almost like this uh, this this fear-based economy for safety yeah. and mm. and then so, so to your point to the fifth these 15 steps you're probably I'm imagining that the, the, the tone is how do you reimagine this entire journey based on yeah. a economy of fear and safety and each different touch point, how does that then change? Now, in your- Those hairdressers, they need to come to us. We've got a very sophisticated revenue management pricing model, which we've turned yeah. off. And I'll tell you what, there's gonna be a tremendous amount of pent up demand. So this is uh, this is an opportunity, you know, to sell those first haircuts at a, at a much, much larger, you know, the premium, fair or premium. rate, you see? There, there has been, I don't know if you, you know, you probably don't follow the same Instagram account as me, but in the American hip hop culture world, uh, all yeah. the rappers here's just been growing, growing out. Yeah. And it's just, there's this crazy, like just bad, and they, they've been like ringing their, bringing other people and making them like show how bad their, their hair is. <laughs> and so it's, yeah, it's yeah, so yeah. funny. Yeah. Like, it's, it's, it's fair to say I don't follow uh, rappers on Instagram, but anyway, <laughs> probably more like age politicians. Okay. The, well, I'm yeah. sure everyone's going to need the, the good hair. I've seen some shockers yeah. though. Some of my, I've been on yeah. some, some Zoom calls and some yeah. people have tried some home man. Yeah. Not good. <laughs> oh, the joys. Um, do you feel so? What does that? What What does it mean for domestic tourism at, at level two? I haven't looked too much into the thing. What What does that change? What What can and can't yeah. be done at the moment? Have they brought out guidelines or what's it go? No, well, it's it's a really important component for us. It's yet to be determined. So as it stands today, it's not um, encouraged, and there would be social distancing. But we're looking for some specificity on that in the next forty eight hours. So that could change um, if it's if it's constrained whereby the government is saying we only want essential workers to travel, we will just probably add some more flights, but it wouldn't be a huge increase. If it's unconstrained and they say, actually, we think we've got this under control and we want to encourage Kiwis to travel around the country, we will quite quickly uh, add more frequency and more network. And then we will start promoting quite heavily because we'll have know literally hundreds of thousands of existing customers who have credits that they want to spend we think there's going to be um quite a surge of short-term demand so pent-up demand so people who have been locked at home for four six seven eight weeks will want to go and see the, the country it's also there's more uh, on the potential of a peak skiing season if um that comes right so yeah, we, we think there's potential uh, fantastic opportunity and upside in the domestic market. It already represents about 50% of the tourism industry anyway. Um, so yeah, we're pretty encouraged by that. We just need to know what this, the details are. And once we understand those constraints, uh, we'll then start marketing um, in any way, shape or form. And I imagine as well, the amount of uh, international travel 
budgets that you've been spending is going to get probably redeployed locally as well if they can't these other crew can't do anyway you know like i was talking to someone else in, in the game and they're saying mate this is just redirected all our international marketing just to go local to double down on local and we've been talking talk about this idea of this kind of hyper hyper local resiliency of yeah. really really backing that local spot really and um we were we had a tim alp was trolling in the comments the other day and he was saying you know bluff over barley you yeah, know, and yeah. you're coming up with all these different sort of things. Like, so yeah. I, I definitely feel the 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 pull for Kiwis to help Kiwis. It's really clear that um, mm. everyone's on the same page to genuinely do that. And and I think yeah. the escapism piece, you're also exactly right because they're going to want to, you know, get out, see somewhere, and especially if they've got the credit. I hadn't even thought of that whole thing because there's mm. probably all these unused credits which are sitting there, and everyone's like, "Stuff it, yeah. we're going to Wanaka. Let's go shred. Let's you know do something." You know, yeah. so that's kind of co- I, I like the. Um, well, I, I think there's a number of opportunities. One is the the Airbnb market, if you look at Wanaka and Queenstown. So those rooms or those houses, coupled with the hotel accommodation sector, they're going to be freed up because international tourists aren't in New Zealand. So that'll be freed up for the domestic market, which will mean some pretty fantastic accommodation options for locals, and they'll be well-priced. Uh, we have obviously a lot of planes uh, on the ground that we can deploy quite quickly if the demand's there. And then we have assets. So we've got grab a seat, we've got our, our website, we've got obviously our loyalty database. Uh, and as I say, we've got a bank of credit. So we do think there's going to be certainly some short-term intensity of people, you know, relatively frustrated, wanting to get out, see the country. And we think the country's got a lot to offer. So you know, we're quite confident in the short to medium term. It's like how how do we restart the international long haul business is a more strategic challenge for us. Because quite frankly, if it's North America or if it's Asia for us at the moment, we've got our people in market and to an degree we've put them in hibernation where we we don't have any likelihood of services in the short to medium term. So how do we keep our flexibility so when we want to fly back there we can restart as quickly as possible. But how do we keep our costs as low as possible as well? Because you know we're carrying a lot of our cost at the moment and not uh, covering that with any revenue. Yeah, I was going to um, two parts. There. One is the uh, the the planes. So right now, like, how many airplanes does Air New Zealand own? Well, we've got about uh, just over 110 aircraft. Some of them are owned, and some of them are leased. So depending on what fleet type they are, there's a combination. Yeah, and. Say the the big planes that are flying all all around the show that that were, are they are they all parked up and like did everyone come back home to New Zealand? Are they parked all around the world? Like logistically, where's all your shit? So we've got uh, three parking lots. <laughs> um, we've got Auckland Airport, uh, we've got Christchurch Airport, and we have Nelson. And uh, Nelson's got a lot of our turboprops. So we have in total around seventy aircraft uh, which are parked. Now, um, if you want to park an aircraft for the long term, you'd send it to a place like Alice Springs or other really, really hot temperatures where it um, has a less impact on the uh, the aircraft itself. So our aircraft are still in New Zealand, uh, and that's where they'll be in um, the short to medium term, unless if we make the um, difficult decision to – uh, what we do is put some aircraft in long-term storage, then you'd move them out of New Zealand because of the atmospheric conditions uh, and the weather. So, yeah, it's a bit um, depressing both for our staff and actually some of our customers to see uh, a line of planes parked because ultimately that's a whole bunch of jobs, that's a whole bunch of economic activity. 
And we, you know, and I certainly believe in the social and economic good of travel, you know, so we are very keen to get those up in the air as soon as practical, but those wide bodies, the 787s and the 777s, it, they, it feels like it's quite a long way away. Yeah. yeah. The, the strategy that you have to go, go globally, you'll stage out, is it country by country, region by region? How do you how do, how do you think about um, with what? Because countries may be open for business, but we or you might not feel comfortable to then do that. Like just because you can doesn't mean you should, right? What type yeah. of conversations are happening with what medical says, what government says, to what you feel like? How does that how does that balance of tension between the, the want for revenue with the need for safety plus the the power of politics plus the tra- you know like just how does how does that work as this rolls out? Because obviously we hopefully get the stamp of a, a bit of safety, great. And yeah. then how does how do these rings expand operationally? Yeah. Yeah, it's a really good question. I mean, we are in lockstep with the government uh, and the health authority. So um, this is not being commercially led uh, and it shouldn't be commercially led. It's been led by making sure and ensuring the country is set up for long term success by being free of the virus. And, you know, in the short term, that really impacts us and it impacts our people and it impacts our revenue and our commercial outcomes. But the reality is, uh, our core belief is having a country which is positioned as virus-free is better in the medium and long term. So we are we have a lot of aspiration and hope around the Trans-Tasman border. At some stage, you know, in the months to come, that will start opening up. Um, the second phase of that hopefully would be the Pacific Islands. And then if you look at our medium to long-haul markets, we think that's going to take some time longer. And we also think that, you know, that will require government-to-government agreement in terms of who can travel uh, on a point-to-point basis and what does it mean for connecting traffic. So if you look at Singapore as a market, most of our business is not domiciled in Singapore, it's actually connecting traffic. So how do we manage that from third parties connecting over Singapore? So we'll be um, working with government agencies to make sure that they are very comfortable that our systems and processes are in play. And we've got a big team here to work on the health outcomes but we'll be um, absolutely led by them rather than us trying to push and say commercially we need to get back to north america therefore we really want you to open up their borders it's actually the opposite we're saying when you're comfortable with opening up these borders um we'll come in behind and restart these markets yeah that balance off is going to be a tricky one to navigate as it as yeah it and we've, got to be, we've got to be pragmatic and we've been pretty pragmatic with our customers, our stakeholders, the tourism industry, uh, but also the staff to say that, you know, ultimately whatever happens in the next year or two, in New Zealand is going to be a much smaller business. So we're going to have less planes flying and we'll be gaining less revenue. It's just how much smaller and for how much longer. Yeah, the, the how long the piece of string thing. What, what yeah. I do think is interesting is going to be the... Um, you know, the, the, if New Zealand stamps it out, the only way it gets in is through people. And the only way people get in is through airplanes. So it's intrinsically linked. It's probably going to be the biggest ongoing, um, most critical part that government will be asking for as well from you too. Like, you know, what is, what's happening with baggaging, touching, getting on, seating, the whole sort of thing as well. Do you feel when long haul comes back off and you want to go to New York or Milan or, or whatever, do you think that the kickoff will be, you know, will tickets be twice as expensive and there'll be half as many people on the, the seats? Do you get your own row each? Like how, what are the conversations around how people 
will 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 initially start and and like what's the conversation there with with how it will work logistically so far in terms of the customer experience on yeah and that's that's something that we're talking about at the moment and we've kind of assessed a whole bunch of options from as i say do we have customers and all staff wearing uh, masks um, what happens with physical distancing because that could be different jurisdictions could have different views on whether that's going to be appropriate is the social distancing one meter or is it two meters um, obviously uh, the cleaning of the aircraft has become into distinct focus more focus than it's been uh, probably in 75 years of the airline so every part of that customer journey from how we operate our lounges how we board the aircraft uh, how we do pre-seating because as an example, when we start domestic, even if there is social distancing, there'll be some family groups and some bubbles traveling on our services. And what we're saying is, well, they should be able to sit together because clearly um, social distancing isn't relevant for that small group of people. So it's really getting into a level of detail and data about uh, how we could restart this. I mean, one thing is clear, we wouldn't, would be incrementally starting our, our long haul business. We wouldn't just be uh, going back to what it was. And price is always going to play a relatively significant factor in getting tourists to come to New Zealand because the market is going to be smaller in my view because we'll be um, working in a global recession. So there's going to be less discretionary income. And New Zealand or Air New Zealand as a carrier, we're quite unique because we carry what we call inbound leisure customers. So New Zealand is not a big business market. So the people who ultimately travel to New Zealand on Air New Zealand wide body services are generally tourists. So they need the discretionary income, they need the willingness to pay to go on a long haul journey. They need to understand where New Zealand is and they need to understand what New Zealand has to offer. And usually they need to take between a week and two weeks leave. So all of those factors mean that, you know, we need to have the right price promoted to the right person at the right time in the market in the right market. Um, it does set some challenges for us, but once again, I get back to what the core proposition is going to be. And the core proposition, if it can be an unbelievably fantastic place to visit with great tourism facilities and a virus-free environment, you know, I think that's going to stack up on the global stage. And we've got to have a bit of aspiration and a bit of confidence to sell that in the marketplace. Yeah, ex exactly that point. You know, if, if we agree that we're going into, a, I guess, a, from a customer's perspective, a economy of fear-based economy, and then they're thinking about if New Zealand was known as green, and yeah. now it's safe and green, all of a sudden yeah. you almost get this funky double up because then the power of the brand of what New Zealand represented was yeah. it's green and safe, and I think it almost goes it's safe and green. So the whole, I think, the one plus one might equal three, especially as we you don't know what's going to happen with you know second and third waves that are hitting all over the globe as well. So yeah, I mean obviously the the branding of New Zealand from a tourism New Zealand perspective is going to be. Um, going to be a, a huge part of it but i was just thinking about yeah. your pricing before there especially with the bubbles that makes total sense right that you you know well your 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 pricing crew start thinking about okay well how do we do family bubble packs and how does yeah. how does how does the safe how does the brand of the bubble become a pricing thing for a whole bunch of different customer experiences and products and offerings and services you know combo the mm -hmm. bubbles you get together that, that whole it's almost there's going to be new new ways of the, the psychology around pricing f and and what people choose to experience is going to be so much different now. Like it's um, obviously opportunity through all of it, but at the same time, a bunch of challenging times, right? Because how many staff did you did you have? How many staff did, did uh, so we, uh, we started with 12,500. Um, 
and about a thousand of those were based offshore. So just over uh, eleven thousand um, based in New Zealand. Um, so yeah, I mean we've got a, a big job to do in terms of repackaging what we offer both Kiwis, and that'll be a, a probably a, a more bespoke product for Kiwis. And then when we get back into those long-haul markets, how we connect to Tourism New Zealand, and we, you know, we're in very much lockstep with Tourism New Zealand. They, you know, position the brand of New Zealand, and then we try and convert the brand and the awareness uh, and the active considerers into actually travellers to New Zealand, and then hopefully New Zealand gets the economic upside out of that. So. Yeah, there's a there's a huge opportunity, um, but our, our network, you know, could or should look different after this because we don't know what country is going to open up first, and we don't know what the competitive dynamics going to be. So there might have been some markets that were highly competitive that our competitors make a call that they don't come back to New Zealand because they may have sold some planes, or the economic uh, upside of the area line doesn't give them the ability to travel this far to New Zealand because New Zealand's usually we're not a natural hub for most carriers. So we are what we call an end of the line carrier. So large carriers come to New Zealand probably in the last 10% of their network design, not in their core network. And what you've seen is most carriers, you know, focusing as you'd expect on their core business. And most carriers are also shrinking. Most carriers will be 20 to 40% smaller, um, irrespective of what their going in network was. So the whole aviation industry is gonna look quite different. Uh, and, and our kind of core view is we don't see unconstrained travel coming back until there's a, a vaccine which is readily available right across the globe. That's going to be the trigger for us to really stimulate demand. Yeah, um, crew was telling me on the stealth, they were, they were thinking from their source was 20% chance of vaccine by the end of this year, 90% chance by the third quarter of next year. Um, and you're saying even if that, you know, you're a, you're at a, um, you know, Rob actually was talking about the other day. Five was saying, you know, we've got this. I've been thinking about pre-COVID, after COVID. He was a, he was actually saying, well, during COVID, like while it's yeah. here, the the, the, yeah. the bit isn't just like we're out of four into the two. So that whole thing. But I was also thinking about the the, the tourism side. So I sit on the board of Figuring Z with um with Stephen England Hall, CEO at Tourism New Zealand, yeah. and you know texting away and and just saying, you know, it's like, mate, it's like we're a startup. You know, yeah, yeah. You know, back back to it. So it's kind of changed yeah. that whole dynamic. And then, do you think is there conversations going down the route of, hey, if we know that there's this type of leisure market that's coming in, should the government subsidise? You know, it's cheap international travel after it's safe, um, so we can actually get people here to be able to spend that additional cash. Like, are people, how are they talking about the what, what's the vibe of of how they can entice things and pe- more more people in quicker? Is that is that type of stuff been brought up yet around your circles? Yeah, so that is that is basically tourism of New Zealand's role to stimulate the market and to drive what we call either resilient travellers in the future, because we're going to need some of those in the next kind of 18 to 24 months, and drive a consideration towards, you know, people who have thought or know about New Zealand to actively considering and then coming. And what we do is we have that what we call the conversion partner. So we try and uh, generate you know, attractive packages and or price points to convince people that last step to get them to move from being a considerer to actively coming to New Zealand and then contributing to our economy and the tourism uh, industry or economy in New Zealand. So, yeah, our expectation is that tourism New Zealand will really need to double down on the investment in offshore markets because they'll be competing with Australia and Canada and a whole bunch of countries who also have had their tourism industries decimated and destroyed by uh, this virus. So they'll be looking to compete for those tourists, those tourists who have the 
you know, the capability to travel and the resources to spend. So we think that market's going to get hugely competitive. So between Tourism New Zealand and Air New Zealand, we're going to have to market smarter to identify a bunch of customers who are willing to, you know, go 12, 13, 14, 18 hours to New Zealand and spend a couple of weeks here. So it's going to be quite a unique challenge. And you're right, it is in some markets going to be like restarting again. The combo of the of the two, yeah, you know, I can see how the the butterfly figure just makes you think of that next little piece, that next little piece. What I've always found interesting, Trevor, in the the world over you know a few few years is it whatever's like the coolest thing. Right at first, it's like, oh my gosh, Lord of the Rings. It's like, yes. Oh my gosh, yeah. The Hobbit. Yes. Oh my gosh, Fly yeah. of the Concords. Yes. Oh my yeah. god. But there's always these things you just kind of wonder, like from a global perspective, it's just like one mega mashup of everything that you've ever known for New Zealand. Yeah. Package it up. There you go. But it, but on yeah. the other side of that, it, the data, the creative marketing challenge to do a market mm -hmm. real quick the second it opens has got to be such a big one. So from a lot of, from a brand standpoint, it's actually probably going to be potentially an exciting marketing opportunity to, to market quick and effectively with good creativity to try and convert, you know, those, I guess, uh, the, the, those communities into customers, but through through the right type of creative content, because what we've kind of seen from an advertising perspective, anyway, from a bunch of stuff is yeah. every single brand doing the exact same thing, yeah, yeah. S -s slow motion, empty shots, yeah, um, yeah. piano in the background, voiceover yeah. for 65 years, we've been, it's like, fuck. Yeah. But when everyone does the same yeah, shit, yeah. it's like, yeah. oh, Be kind, they say, yeah. Yeah, no, I mean, that's, that's exactly right. I mean, one of the other com commercial considerations we have is when we restart, even around New Zealand, our expectation is certainly in the short to medium term, there's probably going to be less uh, business travel. So we've had quite a, quite a significant amount of our uh, business in New Zealand as people traveling for meetings or seeing customers. That's a relatively significant part of domestic travel. Now we think the technology that you know Jason and Jolie and everyone you know the you know the technology has worked pretty well through this process unfortunately well fortunately and unfortunately but um, it's a competitive product for us and we think in an economic recession there'll be many many businesses small medium and large who say look flying to Wellington for two hours to have an internal meeting for a couple of hundred bucks is probably not going to be high in the agenda so we think two products like this, like Zoom and uh, Microsoft Teams, are going to be better deployed, better used, and they will have some form of impact on our revenue. We're not sure how much and for how long, but you've got to be pragmatic and realistic that there's going to be businesses are going to be redefined about working from home, using technology, and whether it impacts us, commercial real estate. We just think it's going to be quite a big shift. I mean, this is this process has accelerated everything. Hmm. That's a, I'd never thought of the fact that that's more bad as a competitor for travel. No, no, because it's a it's a really because a bunch of people have been talking about it. They're saying you know yeah. they've been thinking about, but there's been this tension of like the first thing is oh shit I probably won't travel as much to do this because I can just do these Zoom calls. Mm -hmm. I would never have thought from a travel airline that a tech company would have actually been a competitor, but for that exact moment mm -hmm. it actually is. But what I've also found is through the rise of the use of tech, two two awesome things. One, yes, tech can still uh, keep businesses operating that are pu that are on uh, publicly uh, traded. Yes, thousands of people can still be employed. If this happened ten years ago, we'd be flipping shit show down the creek. If if Chorus hadn't done what they've done, great. But secondly, yeah. the overuse of technology, the thing that people are actually missing is the human inter inter interaction, the people, the yeah. actual face to face. And so I think the emotive DNA of of human beings is not only been 
challenged and tested, but actually verified that, it, yes, we're more connected than ever. Yes, technology is great and totally get that. But what everyone wants to do right now is to be able to see their friend, give them a cheers, yeah. high five and a hug. And I don't think yeah. that, it's, that that's actually yeah. been validated probably more so than ever. So I, I think the, the connection points have just been uh, not eliminated. It's actually been doubled down for those that can. It's probably just going to be a filter of, is it yeah. really important? You know, like is, yes. there's, there's going to be that line which sort of changes the way out. But I was I was thinking about, you know, you're thinking, you're saying 110 sort of planes for yourself and we've yes. seen other airlines starting to sort of fall, go under around the world. Logistical question, what physically happens to all these flipping planes and shit from everyone else? If they, when they go, yes. this is going to be more and more that drop. What yeah. happens when the, the, the supply is flipping 10x the demand like yeah well so practically um you know most airlines are doing exactly what we have done is either put them in light storage which is just in a tarmac or some airlines put them in heavy storage and then um some leasors will take back the aircraft uh and then other airlines will be trying to sell them in a pretty tough market to sell and then the really really old aircraft where there's no second half second hand market they actually unfortunately go to a bit of a graveyard and get uh, chopped up into scrap metal so um, I think that's one of the realities that is actually playing out now. There's a, a massive oversupply of aircraft uh, because people generally in our game, they buy aircraft in the really, really, really good times. And when the aircraft come into the fleets, um, you know, there's either an economic slump or a recession or a, um, a fall in demand. And this is a fall in demand like we've never seen before. I think IATA brought out the forecast, I think this year, the industry is going to lose $252 billion or something like that. It's just eye-watering numbers so uh, i think the industry is bunkering down as i said before there's also been really great collaboration because there's not a lot of competition going on between airlines saying right how do we how do we make customers more confident about their ability to safely get on and off a plane so there's got to be some industry solutions for that that can't be just Qantas or new zealand or singapore airlines We've got to get a level of consistency so when they're connecting or traveling to different parts of the world, they're comfortable about that customer journey. So, yeah, I mean, the whole industry at the moment is just focusing on the core, making sure we've got that cash to survive uh, this unbelievably big dip, and then having some confidence about the future and that there is a social and economic good for travel and it will come back. And on with you, we used to run a campaign probably a decade ago called um, you know, being there is everything. And we do think a source of competitive advantage as a small country that um, kind of trades with the world and export-led recovery, ultimately people will want to get in front of their customers and they will want to kind of communicate face-to-face. -face. We just think there's going to be a gap for that to restart again. Yeah, with the, the marketing piece to, to add thing, just get Taika to, to help direct it and they'll give a nice little bunch with the Star Wars piece. It should with a bit more engagement i'm sure <laughs> yeah. the um do you think you'd would you like uber would you charter planes like would it even be financially feasible or a potential viable revenue line to, to charter planes like flipping like uber like uber x um well we charter planes now and actually um as i say dave morgan who's uh, heading out our as our chief pilot he's been um organizing a number of charters, uh, repatriation charters. So we did three to, we've gone to some places that we either haven't been for for decades. So Frankfurt we went to uh, and to India 
uh, a few weeks ago. So we've actually run quite a few charters getting tourists who are based in New Zealand back to their home base. Um, and we, we have quite a vibrant charter business when we're operating at full capacity. The problem always with charters is what we call dead legs. So, you know, we could take a whole bunch of people to India for two weeks, but we've got to get the aircraft back to New Zealand. Uh, and incumbent in the operating costs, you've got to price it for both legs. And one of the legs is usually dead, which for us means it's flying empty. So that means the charter costs, when they get distributed back to the cost per, per passenger, are always higher than customers would expect. So um, if we can find a way to mix and match demand, that sometimes works. And we've done a number of charters over the years uh, to different destinations, a uh, couple, quite a few to Vegas, uh, quite a few to Australia. So uh, at the moment, we're looking at you know most things, to be honest, because it's such a different world and a different environment. Yeah, we had uh, William Winsley, uh, who's the head of uh, Queensland Lakes, uh, startup Queensland Lakes, the CEO there, talking about, you know, there they're looking to potentially have like a, 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 a tourism tech sort of mini hub thing. And I was just thinking, I was wondering, you know, if you could batch on board a whole bunch of people with where they wanted to go, whatever, an AI back end to be able to potentially yeah. consolidate different batches. There's something in there, and I'm sure people are obviously thinking about it. But um, I know you're a busy man, you've got a bunch of shit to do. But before we go, I was going to ask you about the bubble between. Yeah, I'm not. I'm not counting our revenue. That's one thing I'm not doing at the moment. So you know, <laughs> but, but I can basically call. I can nearly call every passenger at the moment, literally, <laughs> and just thank them for their service. Thanks, thanks, John. Thanks for flying yeah. on Tuesday. Yeah. Thanks for the charter to to back yeah. to here. Yeah. Um, yeah. The bubble, Anzac bubble. Yes. Do you think? Yes. It will be if it drops. If it goes to L2 and you get that potential thing between Australia, yeah. that's going to be awesome yeah. for, for Queenstown. How do you see the potential bubble working between New Zealand and Australia, but also potentially the islands as a safer bubble? Because obviously you can't control who yeah. comes into them, but who comes here. How do you see yeah. that potentially working as a, as, a, as a thing? Well, the first thing is that would be really material and positive for us. We've got, you know, 22% of our, our capacity into the Australia we fly into eight places. And before the start, we had um, 80 services a week on average. So it's actually more important to Air New Zealand than any other, other carriers who go or fly the business. So the way, the way we would see it working is the government's coming up with uh, an approved customer journey. So that might be saying only point-to-point -point travels, so no connecting traffic. It could be just New Zealand resident uh, or passport holders with Australian resident passport holders. Um, it could start up from a state to state. So obviously with the state and federation in Australia, you could say, you know, it's just Victoria or it's just Western Australia or it's just South Australia. We fly to all those destinations anyway. Uh, and then what we'd be looking to do is connect to the government to prove the concept, to start slowly to say, we are comfortable and we can put considerations into that customer journey. It might be, you might have to check in a lot earlier as I say, there'd have to be some distinct changes to your boarding. It may or may not have physical distancing. It may require some testing at the gate or before you depart. Um, we do think that the, you know, the requirement for a stand down is not really practical because it means, you know, for a weekend trip, you're, you're a month uh, in a hotel. So that, that's really not a practical outcome. So we're very open to any consideration or working with you know, either Qantas or Jetstar or the authorities and the airports and clearly the government and health authorities to make sure that we um, can do all possible to open up those trade corridors and tourism corridors because 
that would, you know, in my mind, save a whole bunch of tourism businesses. It would really give our business some confidence uh, and it would get many of our aircraft in the air. And we would potentially deploy even more aircraft based on what the demand profile was too. Um, at, at the moment, the Tasman, we fly everything from an A320 right up to a 777. So we've got, um, but we've never had fleet flexibility like we've got at the moment because, you know, as you say, we've got so many aircraft on the ground. Yeah, that, the, the timing of it as well coming into winter with just opening up Queenstown for that would be the escapism yeah. would also be the same from Aussie side potentially wanting to come over too. It would be a yeah. huge definitely benefit to it as well. Because I think you guys just had your, your 80th anniversary, right, as, as well. Yeah, that was a bit um, – that was more low-key than we had anticipated. Uh, we <laughs> we had some um, we had some significant entertainment and parties organised which were very hastily uh, cancelled. Um, so I think we ended, we, we did end up sending a, a magazine to our customers, but yeah, it's it's clearly not the way that we had anticipated um, celebrating our 80th, which was gonna be, you know, reflecting on the airline, the challenges, and then looking forward to some of the growth into new markets. So um, it's fair to say those celebrations are on hold or on ice at the moment. But, you know, we've got to have confidence about this business rebounding. We've got to have confidence that hopefully the public are behind us and they want us to succeed and grow. And we're very fixated and determined to make sure this is a, a successful commercial business uh, supporting New Zealand tourism and a business that New Zealanders ultimately will want them to be proud of us. So that's what we're, you know, we're in the trenches at the moment, but we will come through this. Mate, mega. On that note, Cam, I know you've got um, a few billion dollars you got to go make, so I'll leave you. I'll leave. I'll leave you to it. <laughs> hey, thanks for your time, and uh, thanks for reaching out. I'll uh, catch you soon, and, and and hopefully more positive times. No, nah, for sure, man. Really appreciate your time, and thanks so much, Bro Legend. Cheers, mate. Cheers. I'll see you soon. Bye. Bye. Cam Wallace, Chief Revenue Officer in New Zealand. Good banter. Big challenges. Massive, massive challenges. Even just, you know, you, the average Kiwi wouldn't think of the logistical shit show of planes sitting on the tarmac. Where do they sit? Like, where do you put a flip on 100 planes, right? Coming back on, how do you make sure you're not, you know, it's one thing sitting next to, you know, some some dude that's just taking your seat and you're all squashed up and shit. It's another thing to figure out, okay, how do we have space? Does everyone get their own row? I can pretty much guarantee, though, when they start these flights back up internationally, if you go in economy... You, there's probably going to be some free upgrades because I don't think if there's no business travel, <laughs> then you know first class is free. Uh, so definitely be asking for that when you start going. And yeah, the different revenue models. You know, how do you how do you leverage these 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 assets which are sitting there as well? How do they keep all their different pilots keeping their credentials up? Because obviously that you've uh, pilots have to be able to fly certain amounts to to keep that up too. But the, clearly the combination between for New Zealand as of brand New Zealand being green and safe and and out to the world that combo of government tourism New Zealand in New Zealand has got to be like there will be some gnarly WhatsApp groups between those three I can flip and guarantee it so um very cool that he spent his time um not gonna lie we we wanted to push uh cams out just for a little bit because clearly he's had some bigger uh, fish to fry than than to come and have a banter with me so I appreciate uh Cam for his time uh enjoy the rest of the day team is a pretty pretty good one